Hey, Green Tree family, happy new year, happy 2021. Uh, it's good to be back together after the holidays. Uh, my name is Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree Community Church. If you're new to uh, our congregation, uh, wherever you may be worshiping today, we're glad to have you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, as we begin the new year, we're going to begin a new sermon series. Uh, we're uh, leaving Advent behind in the way of the major was a lot of uh, wonderful learning opportunities there. The display outside that Sue Shadle and her team put together was amazing. Uh, but as we lean in now to the new year in 2021, uh, we're going to be considering for uh, most of the winter and spring semesters, most of what we would call second semester, uh, Green Tree's collective identity under the, uh, under the umbrella of the notion strength in weakness. Uh, so first of all, let's go back for just a second to the fall sermon series, Living in the New Reality. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and, and we asked ourselves the question through 1 Corinthians, uh, how do we begin to, to think differently and live differently now that we are alive in Christ? Uh, well, 1 Corinthians uh, would make you think that there might be a 2 Corinthians, and there is. Paul actually wrote, as far as we can tell, four letters to the Corinthians, so Technically, this isn't the, the second one isn't the second one, but it's, it's one that follows uh, his earlier writings. And he begins to grow and strengthen and expand the notion of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But he does it a little more collectively. He does it more kind of talking to the church as a whole, a little bit more than he does in 1 Corinthians. So at the start of 2021, we're going to just... Uh, move from 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians. Uh, I think we would all say good riddance to 2020. I don't know anybody that's unhappy uh, that the calendars turn the page, maybe the pizza delivery folks, if the, uh, the vaccine allows us to start getting out a little more and re-engaging with one another. But other than that, I think everybody is uh, really ready to turn a page. And so I, as I was thinking about Green Tree and our turning the page and beginning to think about, uh, hopefully this year, uh, being able to gather together uh, in worship, being able to uh, study God's Word together, have a little more face uh, time fellowship with one another, a little more live in our relationships, I began to think what should, not what does, but what should the next three to five years look like at Green Tree Community Church? Uh, what will be our story? Uh, we're not a new church anymore. We've, we've been around for about 20 uh, two, 23 years now. So uh, it's time to maybe uh, not look to the past, but begin to look to our future. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the vision of Green Tree Community Church or the, or the mission of Green Tree Community Church, although those things are, are very important to us. Uh, we have always talked in terms of growing disciples, renewing communities, and planting churches. And uh, those things are crucial to us. But I'm Thinking more fundamentally, what's the culture of Green Tree Community Church? What are our genuine values? And by that, I don't just mean God's Word in, in total, but how we're applying God's Word to our lives. What are our passions? How has God made Green Tree uh, a little bit different than uh, other churches? Uh, there's a unique calling, I believe, on individual Christians, and I believe there's a unique calling on Green Tree Community Church. One of those unique callings for us has been church planting. Uh, will that continue on in the future? Should that still be part 
uh, of who we are. And what about our relationships? How do we grow together as we follow Christ? So when you think about 2 Corinthians, I'm going to do a a brief introduction in this sermon today. Uh, I want you to think in terms of this phrase, strength in weakness. Strength in weakness. The central message of 2 Corinthians is strength in weakness. All throughout the book, all throughout the letter, the Apostle Paul topples our natural expectations on how life works. Contrary to the world's wisdom and human reason, God actually redeems that which is low, that which is despised, that which is weak to accomplish his purposes. So if you want to accomplish something in the world's economy, you say, how do we get the best uh, and the brightest? Uh, How do we get the smartest folks in the room uh, to accomplish uh, a goal? Uh, How do we put our best foot forward, so to speak? And what we're going to see in 2 Corinthians time and time again is that God works in a very different way. You, You could even say a radically different way than how we're used to working in this world. So as people who live both in the, in the world here and now in the temporal, but also in the eternal kingdom of God, how do we find a balance? How do we find uh, an accurate way, an honest way, a genuine way to follow Christ in the context of our current lives? That's what we're going to consider in 2 Corinthians. Now, I'm not going to read a scripture passage uh, as the introduction. We're going to look at several passages as we go through. Uh, So normally I'd read a passage of scripture and we'd stop and we'd pray and then we'd move on. But I'm just going to go ahead uh, and stop right now. I'm going to invite you at home uh, or wherever you may be to just take a moment and pray. And I want you to pray in two ways, if you would. I want you to ask God to speak to you directly this morning. I just say, Lord, I'm here. Uh, Hands open, so to speak. Mind open. Heart open. What would you have me learn? But then I also want you to pray for your brothers and sisters at Green Tree Community Church. Uh, again, wherever we may be, Green Tree Community Church is scattered right now. Uh, and pray that God would, would speak to your brothers and sisters, speak to visitors, speak to anybody that's gathering uh, and listening today. So let's pray for a moment individually, and then I'll pray for us collectively. Lord God, we are gathered together this morning at uh, what we call in, in, our, uh, in our modern vernacular and culture a new year. Uh, maybe we have made some promises to ourselves uh, that uh, we're going to do some things differently. Maybe we've already broken those promises. Maybe we've already failed at them. Maybe we're thriving and moving ahead. Father, we all know uh, from a human experience last year was a, uh, a big challenge and very difficult for us. Some of the words that I think of when I think of 2020 are isolation, fear, anxiety, uh, uncertainty. Father, those are all human emotions that are very real to us. But there is no uncertainty in your mind. There is no fear in your sovereign plan. Uh, You are righteous and holy and not lacking in anything. You are perfect in all that you do. 
But Father, you don't reveal everything to us. You actually call us to trust in you when we are fearful. Uh, you don't supply all the answers. In the world's economy, we get all the answers we can uh, in order to feel the most secure. And here you say, you know me and you can trust me. And that's a challenge for us, Lord. And so we want to acknowledge that. Uh, I want to acknowledge that's a challenge for me. So as we start this New Year's, we start uh, this study in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we think about a silly notion uh, in, in the human mind, strength and weakness. Uh, Father, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would show us your way. Not that you would amend our way, not that you would help us, but that we would submit to your lordship in our lives that we would more and more day by day, individually and collectively, trust in you and live as followers of Jesus. So, Father, we pray for this teaching time now that you would anoint it with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, which is uh, perfect. And we ask, Lord, now that our finite minds, aided by your Holy Spirit, would be able to grasp what you have for us, that we would worship you with our intellect uh, in these next few minutes. Father, I pray... As I always do, that you would forgive my sin, Lord. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since it is uh, the new year, I'm going to uh, remind folks and maybe introduce some new folks to kind of how I do business when I'm preaching a sermon. Uh, typically, most often, I'll start off my sermon with, a, with an introduction like I just did, and then I will uh, read Scripture, which we're going to read a lot of this morning. We'll get there. Uh, but then I offer what I call a sermon in a sentence. Uh, and so you're probably seeing that on your screen right now. And that simply is a big-picture idea of where we're going, and hopefully it does a couple things. For the person who's listening, hopefully it helps you track a little better with what I'm saying. And for the, for the preacher, I can promise you, it it disciplines me to stay on track. So let's stay on track together this morning. A sermon and a sentence is this. The, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the second Corinthians, challenges the community of faith to learn, to think, and to act individually and collectively as followers of Jesus. What Paul is going to do is to challenge the notion of individuality, uh, to challenge the notion that I'm kind of the master of my own destiny. And he's going to remind us again and again that God's kingdom is very different than the kingdom in which we live, the world in which we live, that God's priorities, that God's way of doing business is very different than the way the world does business. And we are called to live in our culture, to live, yeah, I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of the state of Missouri, of St. Louis County, of Kirkwood. Uh, that's, that's my immediate surroundings. But I'm also a citizen of the kingdom of God through the grace of Jesus, and that calls me to a different set of priorities. And that's what we're going to be looking at throughout the winter and the spring. Uh, this sounds like a lot, but I promise you I'll move through it at a fairly good pace. Uh, we have seven observations about the general theme of 2 Corinthians. Well, how, do we, how do we tackle this notion of strength in weakness and then begin to apply it to our lives? So this morning, a lot of uh, information, not a ton of application. But trust me, there will be a lot of application as we go on. The first observation is this. In God's kingdom... Affliction is redemptive. Affliction is redemptive. In chapter 1, 
verses 3 through 5, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What Paul is introducing here right off the bat is that we live in a broken world, and, and the word he uses here is affliction. And if you read 2 Corinthians, and I would encourage you to start now, read 2 Corinthians, read a little bit every day. There's uh, enough chapters that if you read a couple chapters a, a day in a given week, you'll get through it, uh, and it won't take you too long. But Paul uses that word affliction over and over again. Just the normal definition of affliction is something causing pain and suffering. Now, in the world's eyes, in the way our culture looks at things, suffering is bad. Suffering is something that we want to avoid. It's not something that we're called to embrace. We, the world does not look at suffering as having some redemptive value in our lives that's actually key and essential to who we are. There are plenty of people in the world who say, well, if you suffer, you can make something good out of it. But that's not what Scripture says. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's praising God because there's affliction in his life which pushes him to depend on God's mercy and God's comfort more and more. It's also causing him to, to when he kind of wakes up in the morning, to think, how can I be a comfort? How can I share mercy with the people around it. God's kingdom is not a kingdom that avoids affliction. God's kingdom is not a kingdom that says, well, if you can't avoid it, medicate it. You know, just, you know, have, have several martinis each evening. You'll find a way, you know, spend time looking at websites that make you feel good, whether they're moral or immoral. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you can to avoid the pain that affliction brings. Uh, this uh, last month in December, I, uh, I saw a special on the life of John Belushi. It was a documentary. John Belushi was a very famous uh, American comedian, got his big break in Saturday Night Live, and was a, a comedic genius. Uh, some of the things that John Belushi did were definitely not uh, Christian morals, but uh, in the world standards, he, he was a genius when it came to being a comic. But John Belushi's life ended early and tragically because he was trying to medicate the pain in his life. And I don't mean physical pain. I mean, emotional pain. Uh, like a lot of great comics, are, there's a lot of hurt in his life. And one of the ways he tried to deal with that was to, to push it down uh, and, and to feel better uh, in a way that was ultimately unhealthy for him. We're not very different than John Belushi. Uh, we can be tempted day in and day out, and we can give in to the temptation day in and day out to medicate, to avoid, to run away from. And God's economy says affliction is redemptive because it reminds us that God is a God of comfort. He is a God of mercy. And it also reminds us and challenges us that we are called to partner with him in that mercy and in that comfort for others. Secondly, Paul says not only is affliction redemptive, but there is sufficiency through deficiency, sufficiency through deficiency. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, 
Paul talks about confidence and he says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter, letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The notion here is that Paul is looking at uh, the, his relationship with the Corinthian church, and he's looking at his call as a gospel minister to go and preach the gospel, and he's overwhelmed. He realizes how completely inadequate he is for the task. But he also realizes that in God's kingdom, God can take that insufficiency. And through his strength, he can grow us in a way that is profound. I want to remind you, uh, because it would be easy to forget since last fall, the Corinthian Christians were a very unruly bunch. The, these folks were, uh, they thought for themselves and they had a lot of crazy notions about how to live their lives and they didn't take too kindly to other folks telling them what to do. So it kind of like being in the middle of a hockey brawl. And you see that, that picture on your screen. I've, I've been in one or two uh, big, big brawls in my life, uh, one by accident, one I actually planned to be there. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever, ever done in my life. But if you've ever been around a brawl, you know how out of control that is. Uh, in a hockey brawl, there you have uh, up to you know, 30 players on the ice and four officials. How are four officials going to take care of 30 different guys throwing haymakers at each other? Completely insufficient. And Paul looks at the Corinthian church, kind of like you look at this picture and go, I really don't care to be in the middle of that one. Uh, it's fun to watch from the sidelines, but don't throw me in the middle. I don't want to get a bloody nose or, or whatever the case may be. And Paul's looking at the Corinthians and he's going, y'all are a tough crowd. And he's acknowledging that he's insufficient to really lead them. And I will tell you, Green Tree Community Church is a wonderful place. And like any other church on the planet, Green Tree Community Church, you're a tough crowd. There are things we have in our lives that are great struggles, great difficulties. We can be impatient. Uh, we can be mean-spirited to one another. We can think about ourselves before we think about each other. And again, I, I'm not picking on us like there are other great churches out there, and we're awful. I love Green Tree. We, we're, this is a wonderful church. But we're also sinners. We're very broken people. And so it's important for us to understand that the way Green Tree is going to be led well and grow well is not because we get it figured out in our human strength. We're smarter and better and, and stronger. It's going to be because we understand that we are not up to the task, but God is, and therefore our confidence can be in Him. Thirdly, not only does 2 Corinthians teach us that affliction is redemptive and there's sufficiency through deficiency, it also teaches us that there's life through death. Look at chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary affliction, there's that word affliction again, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. You should underline that phrase in your Bible if you're a, a Bible underliner like I am. That's an amazing phrase. This affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is Paul telling us there? That life actually comes through death. It is not this world, but it is the eternal existence and relationship that we have with God. It is that eternal perspective that Paul speaks of here that frees us to embrace the radical lifestyle that is the gospel, that is following the Lord Jesus. It allows us to do things, it empowers us to do things that we would never be able to do in our own strength and in our own weakness. It allows us to serve in a way that we can't, couldn't even begin to serve. It allows us to give. It allows us to forgive. We're going we're gonna to spend a whole sermon or two in chapter 7 on, on forgiveness, and we're going to mention it this morning in repentance. But the, the strength to actually forgive another person and to be gracious and to receive that grace from others is truly um, remarkable, but it only comes when we understand the eternal perspective of our relationship with God. And so Paul says it's opposite. In the world, we're desperate to hang on. Why? And I don't mean this in, in, a, in, a, in an attacking way, but why are so many people in COVID so deathly fearful or upset when they're around people that they, they don't think are following protocols? Because they might die. And that's a very real threat. And I, I'm not here saying we should throw caution to the wind. But an eternal perspective allows me to, to, to wear my mask with the, with the right intention, to love others well, to be wise, to be safe. But if for whatever reason, and, and whenever, I should say, the Lord takes me home, if the Lord Jesus doesn't return, I'm not worried. I don't have to be worried because Paul says this is, this is all preparing us for something that's so grand we can't begin to even understand it. The world says live for now and nothing else. And the gospel calls us to the exact opposite. Fourthly, affliction is redemptive, sufficiency through deficiency, life through death, and leaders are actually servants. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, you see below that a definition that I've given you there that says uh, leadership is power plus love. Power is a, is a bad word these days. Uh, power is abused. People are taken advantage of by powerful people. And, and we don't tend to like that word power uh, in, our, in our modern setting, in our, in our context for today. But the simple fact of the matter is you can't have leadership without power. With leadership, there must be the ability to move an idea or a people group uh, or a notion or a teaching forward. We must be able to influence with some type of power. But leadership, and here's where it gets different than the world, leadership is also, in the gospel sense, surrounded by love. Jesus was both a man of immense power and immense love. And the, those who follow him, those who are called into leadership positions, must be people who live in, in, a, in a good balance between power and love. Pastors, elders, deacons, we are to use the influence that God gives us in a way that loves others well. 
Uh, Sean Ray is an instructor. He's a professor at Gonzaga University, and he actually teaches classes on leadership and forgiveness. Uh, And he is a follower of Jesus. And he says this about the notion of servant leadership. Glossing over real issues or being unrealistically rosy shows a lack of power. On the other side of the equation, an overemphasis on power without balancing and uh, nurturing, without the balancing and nurturing of gentleness, will inevitably lack love. The first, all rosy, everything is okay, lacks teeth. The second, just the, the power, is all teeth. Neither is the way of Jesus or true servant leadership. Dr. King, he's talking about Dr. Martin Luther King, observed that love without power is anemic and sentimental, and that power without love is reckless and abusive. Servant leadership is the balance. What Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, we're we're servants of Christ, and that makes us your servants as well. Would we dare to dream that Green Tree could be a place where power and love, influence and love, strength and love come together in a way that actually honors the Lord Jesus and moves us to follow the vision and the mission that he has for us in a way that really does make an impact for the kingdom of God. Leadership comes through serving. Number five, three more to go here. Blessing comes through suffering. Look at chapter 6, verses 4 through 10. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and affliction. There's that word affliction again. Hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by publicly, uh, excuse me, by purity and knowledge and patience and kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Listen to the language there. Paul talks about incredible suffering. He talks about very intense pain, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, and yet he couples that with knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul understood and what God wants us to understand today equally as important is that as we suffer, as we struggle, we do so not in a void and not in a vacuum, but under the hand of an awesome and sovereign and loving Heavenly Father who directs our steps and who blesses us even in the midst and through the suffering itself. Paul would not, I dare say, been as kind as he ended up being had he not suffered. Paul would not have understood fear and anxiety and a nervousness about sharing the gospel had he not himself been beaten and imprisoned for doing that very thing. Can you imagine being a young Christian saying, Paul, I'm scared to death to talk about Jesus because the folks in this town don't want to hear that name. Paul could put his arm around you and say, I get it. Been there. Been in jail. Been, let me tell you about a time they, they stoned me and left me for dead because they literally thought they had killed me. And, and, and God protected me. Can you imagine Paul having that kind of wisdom void 
that suffering. I'm not saying that we go looking for it. I'm not saying that we cheer about it when we're going through it and that we're, that we're emotionally foolish. We have to acknowledge it for what it is, but we understand that it's part of God's blessing in our life to grow us into mature followers of Jesus. And remember our sermon of sentences that God is putting His kingdom together in a way that is made for us to grow individually and collectively as followers of Jesus. Number six, we're getting there. Salvation through grief. Look at chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. For even if I made you grieve, talks, Paul's talking about a past experience with them. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieves you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What Paul is challenging us here to understand about the kingdom of God is that the way up is first down. That the way we move into a deeper relationship with God and with one another is first by acknowledging our faults. It's by being honest about those things that we do that displease God and hurt one another, that we don't cover them up because of shame. We don't run away from the conflict that they might bring because we just want people to be nice to us or think good things about us. But rather, empowered by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we could actually be a community that freely admits our faults, that confesses our sin honestly, and that believes ruthlessly in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, not just for us and God, but a forgiveness that is so comprehensive and, and literally kind of takes no prisoners, that it spreads out everywhere in every human relationship. So that there isn't a relationship in my life that isn't touched by the forgiveness and the grace of God. And that we believe without apology and we cling fast to the notion that we are terrible sinners and God is that much better at grace. That, that as bad as I am, God is infinitely better at forgiving me and loving me through the cross of Jesus Christ, which then allows you and me to be a group of people that can actually forgive boldly. Seventh, finally, we're there. Abundance through poverty. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. The world says get all you can, hang on to it, hoard it, keep it, invest it, save it, pass it on to the next generation, guard it with your life, keep it under lock and key. And Paul says that, that true abundance actually is found in poverty. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, there's that word again, their abundance of joy. Their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We'll stop there for a second before we go on to verse 14. The, the example here that Paul is giving is squarely set in a vision of the struggle that we face day in and day out that the world is calling us to, to hang on to it, to get it, 
to spend it for ourselves. And, and God is saying, even in your poverty, be abundant, be generous. Be giving in an overflowing way because that's the kingdom of God. There was a story that was told, and you've maybe heard it before, uh, of, a, of a father who was talking uh, to one of his sons. And he said to his young son, there's a fight that's going on inside of me. It's a terrible fight between two wolves. One wolf is evil. He's anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, and hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence. There's that notion of generosity. Empathy, generosity named specifically, truth, compassion, and faith. And son, the same fight is going on inside of you. Oh boy, thought for a minute. He pondered what his father said. And he said, well, father, which wolf will win? The father said, the one that you feed. That's pretty simple but profound truth. What God is calling us to do is to feed on his abundance so that we can care well for one another. Paul goes on to say later in chapter 8 that he wants the Corinthians to be generous now uh, and later on if they need someone else's generosity, it will be there for them because that's how the kingdom of God operates. That's what verse 14 says, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. That is written, who gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Abundance through poverty, this makes no sense to the world. But neither does salvation through grief, nor blessing through suffering. Servant leaders, when the last, when's the last time you actually saw a person in a significant leadership role that understood that their chief responsibility was to be a servant of those around them. The world can't get its mind around the notion that there's life through death, sufficiency through deficiency, or that affliction is redemptive. And it's hard for us to understand as well. And that's why we're going to take some time in 2 Corinthians. We're not going to rush through this. We're not going to gloss over it because I believe that we must set a tone for the next generation of Green Tree Community Church. I'm 61, I'm not 51, I'm not 41, uh, and I, my, my time's limited. Just Your time is too, but if you're 28, your time's maybe a little bit less limited than mine. I care deeply about the future of Green Tree Community Church, which is why I picked 2 Corinthians for us to study, because I believe we are uniquely poised to have an amazing impact in this community and beyond, but not if we try in our own strength. We will implode from within. And so, brothers and sisters, I hope you will join me in a sincere and an honest look at God's Word over these next weeks and months. Uh, and as we did a few years ago in our study in the book of Colossians, I'm going to give us some memory work. Pretty simple, just two verses. Uh, but I'm going to ask us in the next few weeks to memorize 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, because I believe they point to the key truth in 2 Corinthians. My buddy Bob Collette, 
uh, is the great memorizer, so I know he'll pounce on this and have it done by next Sunday. But the rest of us can kind of limp along uh, and get there in the next two or three weeks. But let's end by meditating and thinking about these verses and, and maybe even making a little New Year commitment to memorize them in the, in the coming days. But he said to me, but Jesus said to Paul, that's the context there, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you this new year, what we call a new year, has arrived. We thank you that uh, perhaps humanly speaking, there's some good news coming uh, with the the virus that grips our nation and our world. Uh, But Father, we pray that our perseverance would not be built upon man's solutions, but that our lives would be built upon the rock that is Jesus Christ and on his gospel. Father, we're going to see in 2 Corinthians the challenge to each one of us as individual believers as well as a community of faith to to really learn and think and act in a way that shows we're followers of Jesus, which is going to be so contrary to the world. So, Lord, I, I think we probably have to pray that we would unlearn some things in order to learn and apply your truth to our lives. And so, Father, we pray for that today. We pray for these next weeks as we study your word that you would be transforming our lives so that we can truly embrace the truth of the gospel your power is made perfect in our weakness we pray in jesus name amen